and ultimately with a with a new club and new players playing games is the most important thing you can do because you need to build chemistry and i think you saw the fruits a little bit of our labor tonight of of being more together as a as a group having more cohesion more chemistry and and ultimately led to three points and i think for us that's that's very encouraging and it's something that we we have to continue to build upon After five losses, Inter-Miami get their first W, a perfect way to punctuate their home opener and against a rival no less. This is Miami Total Football Radio. I'm Eric Krakauer, joined by Inter-Miami insider Franco Panizo, who was at Inter-Miami FC Stadium for their first historic win behind a plate of bulletproof uh, glass. Uh, what was the experience like, Franco? It was a lot of fun, man. I can't I can't stress that enough that it felt you know maybe it, it added to the fact that it was the home opener and it was Inter Miami's first home game that this comes after five months of not being able to cover soccer in person but it was definitely a good time the game was entertaining as well and it just felt good to be back in the stadium I can't wait till the stadium is open to everybody and the fans and they can even get you in there so so yeah. um so it, like Honestly, just even with the few people that were there, and there were obviously a handful, maybe a few dozen media members, the teams, Jorge Mas and his family in the stands. But even with that, the stadium sounded loud, at least on the west end where we were. Just the the, the covering that shields the or protects the, the west end from the rain, it just kept the noise in really well. It sounded really loud at certain points. So I think it's going to be... A lot of fun once you can get that thing packed and everybody in there, but a whole lot of fun. I, feel, I felt very privileged to be to be there and, and cover the first ever home game for Inter Miami and the first MLS game in the market in 19 years. So there's another there's another one to do this week. So that's why we got to do this pod short and sweet. I know we say that a lot, uh, and then we end up not not coming through with that. But we have to go short and sweet this week because they've got a game on Wednesday. And then they've got another game that we've got a couple of episodes to pull off this week. Yeah, for, for sure. And by the way, just a, a quick point. When I was starting my career in, 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 in soccer, I was uh, following teams during preseason um, in, in Portugal, for example. And it is amazing how just a, a handful of people can make a lot of noise and create an atmosphere in a small stadium uh, that echoes uh, a lot. So that's certainly a, a good um, – a good description, a good point to bring up. Anyway, on this week's show, uh, we're going to do a game post-mortem and look briefly uh, ahead to the next game on Wednesday, as you mentioned, against Atlanta United. So let's get to it. Before we move on, let me give Franco credit for predicting Diego Alonso's lineup correctly. No surprises. It has to be noted in his opted 4-2-3-1 hybrid, Robles in between the sticks, Andres Reyes and Gonzalez Pires in the center-back tandem, fullbacks Nico Figal and Ben Sweat, Will Trapp and Victor Ulloa in a double pivot. Ahead of them, a pretty fluid trio of Pizarro, Pellegrini and Luis Morgan, and up top, Julian Carranza, who netted a brace. Franco, to say that that was an improved performance compared to everything we've seen so far from Inter-Miami is understandably 
an understatement. Oh, it's definitely their best performance to date, but I do have to disagree with you that it was a 4-2-3-1. It was definitely a fluid look, but it definitely to me seemed more like a, or played more like a 4-3-3. Will Trap was the deepest of the of the midfielders or of the three midfielders that were him, Victor Ulloa, and Matias Pellegrini. He stayed practically in front of the, the, the center backs, dropped deep when they had the ball to pick it up, and also stayed there to keep the game in front of him defensively, which I thought was a massive move and an, a, a big move for, from Diego Alonso to help kind of realize the type of player Will Trap is and play more to his strengths, which I think allowed him to have argue, well, not argue, but I think it was his best game in in Inter-Miami jersey so far. So for me, it looked like a 4-3-3. Pellegrini tucking in a little bit more from his normal left wing position and helping out in the middle to not only apply the press and harass Orlando City players with his energetic legs, but also to help build out and to, to, to initiate passing or attacking sequences. And I thought he did a very good job of that. I thought both of them played particularly well. And I think Diego Alonso's 4-3-3 look, and obviously I think that, that helped them. But I, I do agree that it was very fluid. It looked different at different points, and there was a lot of tactical things that you could see that they worked on over the, the four-week break that they had or the four-week time off from games. Yeah, for sure. I mean, fluidity, I think, is is the, the key word. And I also agree that Pellegrini was was quite central. Trap was playing behind Victor Ulloa, who had more of a, a shuttling uh, mission um in front of him and i think that you're correct in, in suggesting that that plays more to will trap strengths because if you have a, a couple of guys working more tenaciously in front of him then that gives him a little bit more freedom in his positioning uh, always looking to where he can collect the ball and and then move it and in, in fact that sort of supports the point that i made um when we talked about matuidi's role in this team and how matuidi could come into this midfield with uyoa and allow trap that sort of Freedom. Um, well, right, that's why. That's why I think. That's why I think Uyo is going to be the odd man out when when Matuidi arrives. But that's, uh, possibly. But I possibly. Dig, but I digress because I think we've touched on that before. No, but I think that's. But actually, I think that's an important point because if Pellegrini can can play that floating role uh, from left to right in the middle, helping out as we also saw uh, to some degree with 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 Pizarro, because out of uh, that trio that is usually playing behind the striker, it was Morgan. Lewis Morgan, who had a more disciplined uh, position, uh, if I can put it that way, who was spending most of his time on the on the right hand side, and that could have something to do with Figal not being a natural right back and not attacking his corridor as well as as a, a natural fullback would, as opposed to Ben Sweat, who uh, shuttled up and down his his lane a lot more and provided an assist for for the second goal. But what really struck me about this game, particularly in the first half, was how deep Inter-Miami would sit, uh, deferring the possession to Orlando, and how quickly they they sparked a, a transition, and how hard it was for Orlando to, to deal with that. Well, that's how the first goal comes, right? You know, there's a turnover by Orlando at midfield, and Pizarro takes the ball, and Carranza makes an overlapping run over his left shoulder, and Pizarro feeds him, and uh, Carranza obviously finishes well to, to the near post past Pedro Galese, who I think should have done better on that. But it, look, it, it, so far it seems that 
Inter Miami is not all that interested necessarily in winning possession and having the ball more often than their opponents. It seems like it's for Diego Alonso, it's more about what they do when they're in possession. And in this game, with Pellegrini helping out in that buildup, they were much more lethal and much more versatile in their ways to attack. His energy and his speed gave them a variety or a different look in the way that they could attack that they hadn't had before. So I think that was a big part of it. There was talk after MLS is back from from people on the inside and there were whispers about how the the midfield was too slow and too predictable. And I think Pellegrini, that's why I think you saw him tuck in a little bit more to the middle to help with the build-out because he gives them a different type of player and a different type of look there where he not only can he build out, but he can also dribble and give them some speed there and and a different just a different overall look, some unpredictability. And I think that was key in, in Inter-Miami's performance and in Inter-Miami's ability to get off to such a strong start in that first half because despite not having the ball, they looked like the much more dangerous team during that those opening 45 minutes. Oh, without a doubt. I thought it was it was actually a little bit of a uh, a mismatch. And it's interesting. You know, I want to toot my own horn here because a few weeks ago we were having this discussion and I said that I liked Pellegrini coming uh, in a little bit more centrally. I felt like that he produced a little bit more there. And, and, and maybe that's something that we will see uh, more of uh, from from the winger turned attacking midfielder or you know, all-purpose uh, midfielder. This is a, a, an interesting stat about the game because we saw five goals, three obviously for Inter-Miami, two for Orlando City. But if you look at the XG, the likelihood of a goal being scored, Inter-Miami's was just under one goal per game, whereas uh, Orlando City was 0.72. So in reality, only two goals should have really been scored in that, in that game. And I think that speaks to the quality of some of the goals uh, that we saw, particularly that second goal from Carranza, which was unbelievable, as I noted earlier. And I think he may have answered some questions that we had about somebody being uh, somebody leading the line for Inter Miami who could actually put the ball in the back of the net. So you started strong, and then you went to expected goals, which I can't believe you did that. We which t- is, we t- like we t- of, which yeah. is one of the most important statistics uh, in in soccer. But okay, no, continue. no, it's it's definitely not one of the most important statistics in soccer. It's like it's a tool that's used by people in the game, like to help with what they see with their eyes. Like expected goals is not like. I, I'm not even going to get into it because we got into yeah, it. I think so you're just going to tie yourself into no, 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 no. We've talked about this before. Like expected goals. Ex- no, you're wrong again. expected goals doesn't take into account the goalkeeper you're facing. Doesn't take into account the minute of the game that it happens in. It's just a formula to try to assess the quality of a look, but it doesn't take into account so many different factors that are important parts of of a soccer game. Like that's Hold just. Hold on a second. What does what does what does the 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 period in the game have to do with the location of of a shot? If it if it's in the 89th minute and your team is down two to one, that's not the scene. You get a shot from the middle of the box, 15 yards out. That's not the same as if you get a shot from 15 yards out in the middle of the box in the third minute when the game's zero zero. There's different types of pressure. There's different like it's all like that's that's, that's not what the game. That's not what the stat measures. The stat measures just the quality of the shot. And again, it doesn't take into consideration 
who the goalkeeper is. Like, it's, there's so many factors it doesn't take into consideration, which is why it's, 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 like a, it's a good stat to use as a supporting tool. It's not like a good stat to just be like, oh, well, this is like, there, were, there weren't that many good looks in the game. Like, I don't agree with that. Anyway, the point. The so, po- so let me ask you this question then uh, uh, Do ball recovery stats mean anything? Of course, but again, that's just that's it, it's a tool that assists you in the overarching. Like, what about pa- what about pass completion and direction of passes? Well, those are two different things. Well, I understand, but do do those matter? Do, I mean, it depends. Are you talking about them together or separate? Well, separate. Let's let's say separate. Together, they make. I mean, make, ball ball ball, ball well ball passing. You make know, you picture. could you could pass side to side and and have done nothing in terms of moving the ball forward, and you could have a high per, you could have a high percentage, and that does that really help your team? I mean, that's so, why I said in combination. In combination, they they dude, again, they paint, but again, they, these they are these are supporting picture. these are supporting tools. These are not like this is not like one thing is not just like the basis of the game. Anyway, back to the Inter Miami Orlando City match. The second goal by Carranza was. Very good. Obviously, it's very difficult when your momentum's going one way, which it was. He was taking him away from goal to head the ball back the other way, and he loops it over Galese off a great, gorgeous cross from Ben Sweat, who I also think had his best performance in an Inter-Miami jersey to date. And look, for me, Carranza impressed, and not, and I wrote, I wrote this not only because of the goals, but his overall play, his ability to hold off defenders, to draw fouls, to free up space for his teammates, it was the exact type of play, the number nine type of play that we haven't seen from Inter-Miami or Inter-Miami get to this point in, in the season. So I think it was a very good performance that now kind of raises the question or continues to raise the question, where does Inter-Miami go with its final DP spot if, it can, if the team can fill it this year? Does it go with the number nine or does it go for the winger that they've been you know, reportedly considering in recent weeks and months? Which which position do they address with this need? Because if you have if Carranza can do this on a consistent basis, and I, I and that's obviously a big component of this or a big part of this, if he can do this on a consistent basis, do you need a number nine when you when you have a number nine, a young number nine that's able to do a lot of these things that you want from in, in your in your game plan? So I'm actually going to throw the question to you. What what would you do? What do you think? Like, if you're into Miami right now, are you still looking for a number nine, or do you? reconsider right now and look for perhaps a winger well i think it's a very good question it, it also you know the point that you made about him being able to hold up the ball uh and relieve a little bit of pressure was one of the points that i'd made when they faced orlando in the in their first game where perhaps he was a little bit wasteful he had a couple of opportunities uh one that forced a, a decent save from gallese but i thought that his hold-up play was actually pretty decent particularly when Orlando were all over Inter Miami, and I agree with you that we saw that again. Look, I, I think the answer to your question about a number nine is a complicated one because this is one game, right? If we have to see what he does over the course of the next three or four games, because very often with young players, consistency is the issue. Um, and we also don't know enough, I think, about his mentality, right? About his state of mind. Uh, you know, if he has one game that, that doesn't go well for him, how does he uh, rebound from that? Um, some, some players, particularly in that position, can shake things off immediately. I missed that chance. I'm going to attack that second opportunity with the same sort of determination as I would the first one that I, that I missed. So we have to learn a little bit uh, about him, but I don't think we should shut the door yet at the possibility 
of Inter Miami signing a guy who is a proven goal scorer over a, a a prolonged period of time. And one of the benefits of bringing in somebody like that, apart from being someone who can help score consistently now, is that you may have somebody that a, a young player like Julian Carranza uh, can learn from. So. I mean, I don't know if we got a direct answer out of you there. <laughs> no, I don't think um, you did. I, I don't think. I don't think it's a. It's a yes or no. Well, no, no, no. But look, if, well, if you're Paul, but, but if you're Paul McDonough right now, which what do you do? Like, are you going to just sit there and wait to, to maybe sign someone when the when the European transfer market is is moving along? Like, you got to well, you got to make you point. you've got to make a decision one way or the other pretty Absolutely. pretty soon. And I'm sure there are in negotiations or trying to negotiate with certain people. So that's the question: Which direction do they go? For me, as, I think they sign somebody. You think they signed a number nine or a winger? Yeah. Number nine. A number nine. Okay. For me, I agree. I think that's where they have to that's, – that's what will best help them maximize their potential in the 2020 season. They need to They need to have someone that's going to score goals on a regular basis. Carranza did that, and maybe he can do that on a regular basis, but he's so young that it's a gamble. He's 20 years old. I think he has less than 10 or 15 goals to his name in his career. He's obviously his best days are ahead of him, but I don't know if you can consistently expect that type of performance from him. Now, granted, this was his best game, not just because of goals, but because of everything else we touched on. And it also comes after four weeks that he was able to have with the group in training and regain his match fitness and match sharpness. In MLS's back, he was coming off an injury, still working his way back to a hundred percent. So that's why maybe he was a little rusty or a little. Uh, underwhelming in that competition. But again, I I think they have to go for a number nine here. I, I think that maximizes the team's ability. And then you can have Carranza come off the bench or fill in and start or spot start when when needed and you groom him and let him grow. You don't put the, the, the weight of expectations or the weight of the goal scoring burden on him on a on a game by game basis. There was a lot there's a lot of promising things to like and and, and to look at from this weekend. But I think you got you got to go number nine if you can get one. Now the problem, and I think this is why they've looked at a winger in recent weeks and months, is because the type of veteran strikers that are proven that they've been looking at are asking for a pretty large sum of of money. You know, so e- even without a transfer fee, they have to pay, or they're gonna have to fork over a pretty significant amount to these players. Cavani didn't. Cavani have reportedly wanted twelve million dollars net per season over three seasons, and. That's not necessarily from Benfica, from Benfica as well. I mean, that was and that fell through, and that fell through because. And I remember last week you were all like, "Hey, it's gonna happen. It's gonna that's that's done and dusted." I think were your exact words. So um, yeah, well, foot in mouth, foot in mouth. It seemed like that. It seemed like that. But what's interesting about that is that, you know, and and obviously I was talking to people, you know, a a Uruguayan journalist who 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 knows the people who represent Cavani quite well, is that they wouldn't back down from, from that number. That may have scared Inter-Miami away. That may have now that definitely has scared away Benfica because there's no way a team in the Portuguese league can afford those sorts of, of, of wages for a player. But perhaps it opens – the fact that they weren't able to negotiate that, that could open the door again for, uh, for, for Inter-Miami. And news coming out of Barcelona today, and I talked about this earlier on on, on one of the shows uh, that I'm on. I was actually on with Hope Solo today, and – and one of the and one of the things that came out is that Ronald Koeman has told Luis Suarez that he is not wanted in Barcelona, so perhaps an an opening there. And that's exactly the caliber of player that somebody like Julian Carranza can learn a heck of a lot from. Yeah, I I mean I agree, but of course it again it comes down to salary demands and if that number is gonna meet 
or be close to what Inter Miami wants right. to pay. Because, again, it's not just, look, in MLS, it's not just about what you do on the field. It's also about what you do off the field. And Inter Miami's looking for their face, their face of the franchise, their marketable person, the person that's going to sell jerseys, sell tickets for whenever games can get back into the stadium, and or when fans can get back into the stadium. I think I said games. Uh, and So it needs to be more than just a guy that can score goals. That's just the reality of the situation. And, and I don't know if, again, get, you're talking about these high-caliber players that may be on the downside of their careers, but they are asking for a pretty penny. Yep. And that's where I think Inter Miami has had trouble and why they've maybe considered going and addressing their winger spot because maybe you can get a guy on, at a number more or closer to what you're looking to pay out wide and maybe that player can give you goals maybe it's just not the amount of goals that you know you you'd expect out of a striker so yeah I, and, and, I, I think i think they need to go for a number nine but i think it might be more realistic for them to go for a wide player i know that sounds kind of contradictory but like if they can find a number nine that should be their priority if they can't i mean they don't they can't just sit there and do nothing with that last spot they should fill it with somebody and then they should probably go for a right that's the best and way to I, put it. I think it's important to add to that that strengthening the squad ultimately is the goal. So if you can't find the nine that you want or the nine that you want is asking for too too much money, and let's be honest that international players who have a blockbuster appeal look at MLS as a cash cow, okay, because they know that they're not going to be playing at the highest level anymore. And as much as I love MLS, that is just the reality. So they want the money. They're going to be competitive, but they want the money. And to your point about a winger, if it strengthens the squad, that's a good thing. Last point on this before we move to to a player who made his debut in Leandro Gonzalez Pires is that when you brought up uh, Paul McDonough, the benefit that he has that we don't is that he gets to watch his guys week in and week out in practice. He gets to talk to Diego Alonso. So they are seeing what Carranza is able to do uh, regularly, And, of course, the practice field is not the same a- as the game. But that is where you're going to get the signs of what a player is able to do and how much you can ride him, especially when the expectations are high. And expectations were certainly high for Gonzalez Pires, who comes into this game. I thought he had a pretty good performance. What do you think? I thought he was overall a, a positive, a net positive. He showed a lot of the good things he's going to bring into Miami. But I also think... You saw some of the maybe not so good things he he he, he can have in in a match. He uh, he went into the to Daryl DK on the in, on the Orlando City equalizer in the first half, trying to outmuscle him or trying to beat him to the ball. And Daryl DK is a big big dude and held held off the challenge turns and that starts the sequence or that help starts the sequence that leads to to the goal. So that that was one moment. There was another moment in the second half where Gonzalez Pires went goes to. To press, he comes out. Of, he comes out of the back line and goes to press. The I think it was again DK that was receiving the ball with his back to goal, uh, but DK played it really quickly. I forget to who, and then there was space in behind uh, Gonzalez Pires that I think Mueller didn't feed, didn't return the ball, and if he had, then Orlando City would have had a, a clean look on frame. So there were some negative things, but an overall a positive performance. You could see his presence. You could see his ability to, to pass the ball cleanly out of the back. A lot of good things. You expect him that it will, things will only get better as he has more time with the group and as he gets more games under his belt with the, with the, that back line. So I thought it was a, a, a overall a, a, a good performance, but there were some things to, to work on. Anybody who's, who has seen the Argentine, the former Riverman, um, 
play knows two things. One, that he can dive into rash challenges. Uh, it gets carded quite a lot. Uh, and, and that um, he sometimes uh, gets there a little bit late and allows space behind him. But that is the nature of the game when you are as aggressive a center back as he is. Before we look ahead very quickly to uh, to, 20, uh, to 20, 2021, when fans are allowed, uh, to... Um, the game against Atlanta on Wednesday, a quick word on Pizzato, because for me, the man of the match, not only for his ability to pull the strings, he gets an assist, he scores a goal. Uh, in the goal that he scores, I thought it was uh, it was funny to see uh, Mueller's, uh, Mueller's reaction uh, in frustration and disgust in his defense when he was the guy who let Pizarro go into the box unmarked and just tuck that one away, pick his, pick his corner. But what really impressed me, was his work rate, particularly his defensive work rate. And at some points, it looked like Ben Sweat was an added center back and he was the wing back on the left side. Yeah, so Bissado was all over the place. And this is like, we'll be here all day if we if we talk on uh, like all the tactical, tactical flexibility that we saw out of Inter-Miami in this game. Because there was times where it looked like they were playing with five at the back, times it looked like they were playing with three at the back. There was just so many different things. And but just go back to your point, Pizarro was all over the field, on the left side, in the middle, occasionally on the right, playing as a as a fullback looked like at times to help track and and help cover Ruan. So overall, very good performance for Pizarro. I had him and Carranza rated exactly the same, eight point five each. So. I wouldn't be mad if you went one way or the other, or anybody goes one way or the other for man of the match. I think they were both very, very good. Pizarro obviously has, he was involved in every single goal and then almost gets a second goal himself with the shot that hits off the post. But that play comes off of a great flick on header, I believe, from Julian Carranza. Carranza sets up that opportunity. And Pizarro's goal, obviously very well taken, very clinical finish on the volley. And then obviously the the hilarious celebration with the cardboard cutout of of the fan. So very good performance from Pizarro. It's it's what you come to expect of him, and even maybe even a little bit more is just very good showing from from the Mexican international, and maybe a sign of of more things to come if Inter Miami can continue to play collectively as well as they did against Orlando City. And that's something I want to expand on really quickly is just obviously the individual performances were a big part and so were the tactics, but so was the cohesiveness that the team showed. They looked a lot more like a collection or less like a collection of individuals and more like a cohesive unit that had chemistry and understood each other a little bit better. And they attributed that, or Will Trapp pointed to the four weeks that they had after the MLS's back tournament as a reason for that. So Obviously, a, a big helping point in, in having that camaraderie and that cohesiveness that helped for a big performance in a historic win. All right, looking forward to the game against Atlanta United next. Atlanta United is next here in Miami on Wednesday night at 8 p.m. And while you may think that Atlanta United is just a team that played at the MLS tourney where they were unable to find the back of the net, I think it's worth reminding everybody who's listening that they have won 
all three of the games played outside of that tournament. Their last win was against Nashville, 2-0 on the same night as Inter-Miami won at home. So uh, two days ago, I watched that game because I was listening to the commentary of my very good friend, Kevin Egan. And Franco, I'll throw it over to you. What do you expect from this one? It's tough to really say because this is going to be Atlanta United's second game under their interim head coach. They obviously fired Frank DeBoer after MLS is back and are going through a bit of a change. And this weekend you saw Piti Martinez score two goals and play very well. One player that was maybe not the best performer under DeBoer, but that reportedly had issues with DeBoer's style. So, you know, he's clearly probably motivated going into that first game. Can he maintain that going into a second game once, you know, once he's kind of gotten that that look, look what I can do, feeling off of his chest. I, I, I'm not sure what you can expect from Atlanta. They obviously don't have, they also don't have Joseph Martinez. He got injured way back when, before the MLS is back tournament, back in, in week two. So I think it's going to be an interesting matchup for Miami to see how they approach it and how they go, how Diego Alonso game plans for a team that's, sure, the personnel is well known, but their strategy and their, Approach talking about the opposing team is a bit unclear, so I think you could probably you're probably going to see more most of the same things. The one question that remains, and we're going to talk to Diego Alonso, and by we I mean media, not us here on Miami Total Football Radio, but today we're speaking to Diego Alonso later today. And the one question that that's very important going into this one is, what's the latest on Diego uh, on Andres Reyes? He apparently left the game uh, on Saturday with an injury. Not sure of the severity of it. Not sure of what exactly the injury is. But if they don't have him, it's going to change how Inter-Miami can approach this game. Because I thought Andres had a very good game. Quiet, but very good in, in what he did. He was able to break things up defensively. He had one last-ditch tackle to save the goal against Orlando City. I think Chris Mueller was, breaking in on, was about to break in on goal. I was also very good in, in building out of the back and his distribution and playing through lines. So if they don't have him, do they bring Roman Torres back in? Roman Torres wasn't even on the game day roster this weekend. So do they bring him back into the group so they can continue to play with that four-man back line? Or do they bring Nico, Nicolas Figal in from right back to the center to partner with Leandro gonzalez Pires and then bring back Dylan Nielis into the fold or Alvis Powell? I, I, I mean... I don't, I don't see that happening. I just I think Diego Alonso is not going to put in Nila, especially after seeing Nani score on him again. So I think it's it's going to be an interesting task if Andres Reyes is not able to play. But I think everything else more or less will be the same for Inter-Miami that we saw on Saturday. Similar type of approach with, the, again, the, the, the midfield triangle in a very fluid style. But that's all, again, contingent on what happens with Andres Reyes. If he does not play, if he's not able to play, and they have to go with Roman Torres or they have to go with someone else, then it's going to be a diff- very possibly a different look with very different tactics. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Andres Reyes. I said that from the beginning. He looks like a guy who is going to be a very important piece uh, to this Inter-Miami uh, team. And with that, Franco, really quickly, because we don't have much time, we were going to say that we were going to keep this short. We have a couple of questions. Why don't you read them, and then we'll devote about 30 seconds to each. Okay, so the first one comes from at JRRC171. JRReed11 is, is his name. He's a re, uh, show regular. Inter-Miami only had 
possession. Second half was in the 30%. Do you think Alonzo wants to be a counterattacking team or the final product will be controlling possession? So My quick answer will be that's what's working right now and you go with what's working. I think, like, and I think we touched on this a little bit earlier ago on the show, is that he's not necessarily most the biggest fan of having or dominating possession. It's not like his it's his live by die by rule. I think he's more he cares more about what they do when they have possession. And I think that's what we've seen up to this point. I don't think there's been one game, maybe against the Union, that was the only one where Inter Miami had more of the ball. So. I don't don't think that we'll we'll see Inter Miami be a possession based team, or that we'll try to drive home the the the, the, the attempt to win the ball and have it most of games. I think it's just about what they do when they're in possession, being productive in possession. The, that was uh, that's that's a lot more than thirty seconds, Franco. I'm just um, letting did, you know. So you had a you had a timer out, a clock. I didn't I didn't hear it, I didn't hear it ticking. I, I I didn't need to count. I didn't need to count. But anyway, <laughs> finish your thought. No, no, that's it. So the second question I was going to say comes from Andres at Colo Blanco ninety seven, and we we definitely touched on this, so we can keep this one very brief. Get Suarez now if this is our best chance, or let Carranza develop into a potential Joseph Martinez for Miami. You're right. <laughs> that's it. You're right. You're right. Uh, look, if you can get Suarez. Go for him, but I think it's going to be very tough. Thank you. You got to look elsewhere. Carranza, you obviously want to groom him, and if he's the final answer at, at striker, then you know you could be worse off. But I think they have to try to sign somebody else at that position to just, at least for the next season or two, just to really maximize the potential of this team. Someone a little more veteran, someone that you can expect consistent performance from. Because a young player, you know, their performances can be hit or miss. They can go be up and down depending on, on situations, especially, especially once it comes to crunch time and spotlights on the brightest. So don't think you want to you wanna pin your luck on Carranza being the go-to guy the rest of the way. And again, this is just one game. So you know, great game from him, but it was just one game. So yeah, Buzzwords galore from, from Franco on that, uh, on that answer. Um, and with that, I have a dictionary to-, to, to, to fight off your, your, your clock there that you have ticking against me. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm glad we, uh, you do. And, and with that, we've come to the end of the show. Just a quick reminder that you can follow the show on various social media platforms. Uh, Franco does really good work uh, on those. So if you want to stay abreast of everything Inter Miami, he's your go-to guy. And leave us some reviews and perhaps include in that review that Franco really needs to rethink his feelings about expected goals <laughs> as a statistic. So until next time, big soccer heads, thank you for listening.